We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC's Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And guys, don't let the hat fool you. It's Festivus Week. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. The idea of Festivus, just like Christmas is the idea that we need a palate cleanser. We all need to get some last-minute things off our chest so that we don't carry our baggage into the upcoming year and it doesn't ruin the taste of everything we're about to have laid out in front of us. Now, it coincides with our Week 15 AFC East Roundup. And I couldn't be happier about it because to start the show, we have a guest who has probably more to get off his chest than most. Mr. Christian Simonelli. Christian, what's your biggest axe to grind? Like, if you were Frank Costanza right now, what's your biggest axe to grind with the 2023 New England Patriots? Well, you know, Frank had a lot of problems and grievances with you people. I have a lot of grievances with my team. And the first and foremost is what they did at the quarterback position. Um, that's that's that that's number one by far, not even close. It's 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 a hell of a thing to watch them flip flop between Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, and now you have to read opinion pieces about can Mac Jones be salvaged? It's like he was a he was a first round pick. How many more first round picks? How many more is this franchise going to flush? It really is maddening. Just flush um, right down the top. It's it's maddening. I, I just 
I go out of my mind. I, I, I literally, you know, you, you watch these games and then you see Bailey Zappi, who, believe it or not, actually has a worse passer rating this year than Mac Jones because he has four touchdowns and four interceptions. I mean, that's a tremendously high number of interceptions. And um, Mac Jones will be on this team next year because he's cheap. Like, he's in the last year of his deal. He costs next to nothing. So he'll be here. Question is, who's going to be coaching? It's So could you maybe say that you also have an extra grind with the owner who just needs to make up his mind? Like, is Bill the guy, and are you going to get him a real GM to make the draft picks, or are you just going to clean house, and why are you letting us languish like this? Would it be fair to say you might also have an extra grind with that? I do, because I think if you looked really hard last year, what Bill did with the two offensive co- with the two defensive uh, special teams coaches and a defensive coordinator to run the offense, if I'm the owner of the team, and even though he's been with you for, for two decades, the explanation that Bill gave to him, I think would have needed to be very detailed, and they really could have sat down and talked about it and said, Bill, what, was, what, did you, what made you do this, and why did you think it would work? And whatever that conversation was, Robert bought it. And But Robert said, okay, but we're going to give you – you're getting an offensive coordinator. And I, I think I think he forced him to hire Bill O'Brien, even though Bill O'Brien was on the staff before. I think he forced him to hire Bill O'Brien, and I think that really was the, the really was what set everything in motion for this year. Because I don't think – I think, honestly, put a gun to my head, I think if Bill wasn't forced to make the move – I still think Matty P and George would have been coordinating the offense and coaching the offensive line, believe it or not. And that's what you get from a fan base that's gotten so used to watching the one guy who's above reproach. It really is the emperor has no clothes over there. You have a GM slash head coach who, in his own mind, is infallible. And if he does fail, and if he does think he's failable, he'll never tell you that. He'll never make it known to anyone. He'll never admit wrong. Like, it was refreshing in the wake of the Tyler Dunn article, you know, two weeks ago and all of those pieces to watch Sean McDermott own some of the mistakes he's made. And it's interesting to think about how Bill Belichick would handle something similar. (laughs) How would you would would he be contrite or would he just continue to be like, no, I'm right because I'm Bill Belichick. Look at my rings. I know what I'm doing. Everyone shut up. Because I think that he's proven that he's not going to take advice. He won't take counsel, and he doesn't pivot well. And if he's the only guy in the room, you guys are going to be stuck with this. I mean, I look at this right now. It's one of the most ridiculous stats of the year. The New England Patriots, Chris, only have one 300-yard passing game. Do you know when it came? Against the Bills. Nope. Week one in a loss (laughs) against the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. And ever since then, their team has not looked like a respectable passing offense. They have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games where they failed to gain 200 yards through the air. Seven. Do you want to know what their record is in those games? No idea. They the like So they won against Buffalo throwing 268. They won against the Pittsburgh Steelers throwing 222. They've lost all of the games. <laughs> They've lost all of the games. 
If they don't throw 200 or more, they beat the Jets throwing 201. Yeah. Every game that they have not thrown 200 or more, they've lost, as most teams would if you threw under 200. Except they've done it that many times. That's a wide receiver problem. It's a scheme problem. It's a quarterback problem. It's a coaching problem. Like This is just how much farther down the hole do we have to go with this? And then, of course, it's not enough that obviously your team's undergunned against the Kansas City Chiefs, but then the refs have to give them a little help too, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I on the list of, of things with this game, I mean, the refs are down, but still, I, I think when you watch any NFL game now, and particularly like, you know, this one, you know, you watch it and you're like, what are these guys seeing? What, you know, and what, what are, they, are they watching the same game? Are they not? And then just the ticky tack calls too on top of it. Um, you know what? I mean, the old saying, you can call holding on every play, but they seem to call it like the perfect time. Um, it's just, it is, it's maddening. I mean, you watch any game. Um, and I'm convinced, I'm convinced right now with all the injuries of quarterback this year, you will not be able to touch a quarterback very soon. They're gonna—they're literally gonna put a red jersey on him. I'm telling you, because they can't—the game can't afford to lose the guys that they're losing. Like tonight, this whole game in Philly and Seattle was hinging on both quarterbacks being in there, and thankfully both of them are starting. And it hurts to Geno Smith, but I mean, you were looking at like Drew Locke and I don't know who else. <laughs> the yeah, battle of Chris, the backups. Chris, can you give me way a too many of those games? Who is the Phillies backup? Philadelphia Eagles backup quarterback. Who is it? I'll look it up. And does it matter? Like, you're right. <laughs> and so, exactly. <laughs> and so to watch this game play out the way that it did and to know that you guys lost what was a – it was a tight game there for a bit. Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota. This guy. Oh, okay. You know oh, Marcus, this is at least the name we know. Do you know what Marcus Mariota's claim to fame is? He's, he's the only guy to throw a pass and then also catch it for a touchdown. At against least in Kansas the last City. twenty, at least in, <laughs> against Kansas City, at least in the last twenty years, so it's the only time right. it's happened. I remember <laughs> watching the game and going, "Wait a minute, what are the fantasy football implications of this?" Because he must get double points, right? Like if you threw the ball and then <laughs> also think. caught it and scored a touchdown, then you get the receiving touchdown plus the passing touchdown. Correct? That's how I would think it would work. It's exactly how I think it would work. In theory, you're right. Right. Now, what I think is disgusting is that you allowed a, uh, a running back to complete a pass for a touchdown. That's gross. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Like, I would have a grievance about that. I'd be like, Bill, how come your defense didn't know that was coming? You didn't have a play for that? Your linebackers have that poor discipline? You were supposed to be the defensive guy. Uh, I just I, I can't think of a, of, a, of a year that had that's had more embarrassing plays like that. That's had more embarrassing showings. I mean, it would it would be so rare like this to lose at home and to get embarrassed at home. And even though you said the score was close, it never felt it never close. Really felt that they were even going <laughs> to win, win the game. Like you just they were in it, and you were like, oh, all right, you know. And then like a sucker, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, well, they're hanging with them, and, and I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> Why am you, I doing this to myself? And this is what I love. You are the drought era Bills, and you don't even know it. Like, if I if I have a grievance with Patriots fans, it's that you guys are the drought era Bills, and you don't know it yet. You haven't seen it. You're still in denial. When Bill Belichick leaves, <laughs> whether it's this year, whether it's next year. 
there's no there's no one riding into town who magically takes you back to the Super Bowl days. Those are gone. Now what you're doing is it's Shawshank Redemption. You're trying to dig out of prison with a spoon. That's what you're doing. And it's going to take you a while. But it could be done. And this is where all of this stuff around the head coaching job and Bill Belichick's future comes into comes into play. The Patriots right now are lined up to be one of the top teams in the NFL in terms of cap space. They're also going to have a lot of high high draft picks. They're going to be in the running for one of the top quarterbacks in this draft class, whether it's a Jaden Daniels, a Drake May. Uh, what's the kid from USC, Chris? The one who cried? Caleb Williams. Yeah, fuck. Listen, Simonelli, do you know what a bad look it is if you cry? Like, you run into the stands and you jump up there next to your parents and your mom has to hold a newspaper over your face so no one can see you just sobbing uncontrollably on national TV in a primetime game. You don't get to, like... Not a good look. That's not a good look. And I heard heard his father's a nightmare to deal with, too, so... If I'm a defensive player... That's going to be a tough pick because I heard his father's a nightmare to deal with. If I'm a defensive player, I'm looking at that going, that ain't my fucking quarterback. You You don't sob... On TV, <laughs> you don't sob in front of me. I don't want to see you cry, asshole. We're out here. Do, we're out here doing a job. <laughs> Let's go do the job. Don't cry about it. It it is one of those things where the Patriots have a lot of things lining up for them in the future. Do you want to trust that to the guy who got you to this point, or do you want to cut bait and run? And what does Robert Kraft think? Does Robert Kraft eventually hand that decision off to his son? What do you think the long-term upshot is for? Because now I've, I've moved beyond prognosticating the immediacy for the Patriots. The dynasty is dead. It's died. It's over. Now the question is, right. does Kraft pull the trigger or does he pull the trigger and then hand the next hire off to his kid? How do you see that process playing out? Well, since I think Jonathan is the one that's going to be taking over for Robert, I think Jonathan is going to have a heavy say in this. And, 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 and it's usually, it's my understanding at least, that, that they collaborate on it and they make you know decisions mostly together. At the end of the day, it's obviously Robert making the call. But I would think that moving forward, it's really going to be Jonathan that's going to be, going to be the one. And he's going to have a lot of input. And I, I, I want somebody new. And I think, I think deep down inside, they both know it's time for somebody new. And you go and you get the quarterback. I, you cannot build a team. Um, you know, everybody says, "Well, look at San Francisco. You know, they got a six-round quarterback." Yeah. Do, do you know how many guys they had a hit on in the draft? Look at that team. With the exception of Christian McCaffrey, they hit on like almost a dozen draft picks. Their they Tom Brady. They so, did the thing. They they got the Tom Brady pick. That you guys did right. And then got the guy who was kind of a game manager, wasn't doing for his early career, wasn't doing a lot special, was relying on a running game and a defense. It's the Tom Brady trajectory. Now, I don't think he'll be in the Hall of Fame, Brock Purdy, but I do think that it's worth talking about that they did the thing the Patriots did out west, where they have all the cap, they can build a ridiculous defense, they can have a great offensive line, they can have all these weird, like, they have these weird skill players that aren't wouldn't fit into a lot of traditional offenses. But in this Shanahan offense, they work. And this quarterback just understands the timing and the spacing 
and he he's not doing anything special. Right. He's, he but he's also doing just enough, right? And that's yeah, what Brady I mean, was you know, early look, on. Yeah, I mean, you got Brock Purdy arguably has the easiest job in the NFL. You got to throw to Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. You got you know uh, Christian McCaffrey behind you. I mean, you know, you got you got a pretty easy there. Like you got a lot of skill position plays, but again, like you want to go that route. Like you better have a GM in here that understands today's game, and you better have an offensive coach in here that understands today's game because the score points. And you just rattled off those games they threw for under two hundred yards. That's almost impossible to do in today's NFL the way the, the rules are drafted, the way the rules are right now. It's almost impossible to throw for that few. You have teams like the like Washington that throw for three hundred yards a game. Hey, and, and they don't even try. Hey, or you could throw 94 yards and beat a team by 21. I don't know. Weird. weird. <laughs> it's almost weird how that happens, right? It's almost weird how that happens, Simonelli. <laughs> oh, I had to get oh, it in there. boy. What a week for you guys. You beat, you beat the big, bad Dallas Cowboys. What a week to go into Christmas. L- listen, listen. This is the Pettiest Bills podcast. I'll hate Jerry Jones until he and I are both dead. Like, I've even talked about how, like, I'll go to the funeral. I'll go. I'll stand in the back. I'll lie and say I'm family. No one's going to check me. Like, <laughs> gear? That sounds hey. German. You don't sound like a Jones. Shut up. I'm related. Let's not talk about it. Let's not talk about it unless you want me to get out the paternity papers and everyone's going to go, let him stand in the back. And I'm just going to stand there and watch him lower him to the ground. Like, that's right, Jerry. That's right. Hey, 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 you want to hate him even more? You know what a big theory around here is? Is that when the when Dallas exit and exits in the in the uh, in the first round of the playoffs like they do every year, that Jerry's going to throw all the money in the world at Belichick? Yes, please do that. Nothing <laughs> would make me happier than both of the old men that I hate on one boat, so I can watch it sink, so I can just watch that thing sink into the ocean. Similarly, that you just that, that's a big one around here. Oh, that yeah. just made my night, guy. Buddy, this is what Festivus is all about, right? It's exercising demons, getting things off our chest. You've got a new little girl. I'm so happy for you that you get to have this Christmas. Like, my first Christmas with my oldest son it was special, and it's going to be special for you. I'm pumped you get to have that, and I'm just excited. For all the bad that's going on, at least you have that. It's going to be great for you, brother. I love it. Absolutely. I, I love it, and I love you. Why don't you tell everybody where they can follow you on social as we wind this thing down? Thanks a lot. Love you guys, too. Appreciate it. At Chris with the TIA and our next, and uh, give me a follow. I'll give you a follow back, and you can see my team. Again, just go right down the toilet. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And as we keep the Festivus celebration rolling, we welcome to the program Mr. Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. Scott, what a week. <laughs> what a week to be having this conversation <clears throat> about an airing of grievances. <laughs> it's that time of the year. It's that season where we try to get all this this dog shit off of our chest and move forward into 2024 with a clean slate. You guys absolutely have to be looking for some mouthwash to get that one out of your mouth after hmm. you got shut out by the Dolphins and also made history in the first half, in the process, a week removed from, I was seeing headlines about how confident Jets fans are feeling more confident. This win has reinstated, and everyone goes, oh, they beat Houston, who's a playoff contender, maybe there's an upshot for this team. And then, as it tends to do in New Jersey, the bottom fell out. If you had an axe to grind, with the 2023 Jets, or with anything even surrounding them, whether it be the fans, the weather, the injuries, whatever it might be, what's your grievance of 2023? Well, the problem with this question, Drew, is that we don't have three hours, so <laughs> I can't really get into all of it. I, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. I'm annoyed at Joe Douglas for not doing enough to build that offense around Rodgers. He didn't really make any improvements. He just thought Aaron Rodgers would fix everything and, okay, we'll just get Aaron Rodgers and great, now we're going to win a Super Bowl or something was what he was thinking, right? And clearly that was never the case. I mean, look, this offensive line, you were counting on Mekhi Becton, who hadn't played in two years. You were counting on Dwayne Brown, who's 38 years old and coming off that injury. Lakin Tomlinson was bad last year. So, there were a lot of things that needed to be done at wide receiver. Even if Corey Davis was here, they clearly overvalued Alan Lazard. And other than Garrett Wilson, they don't really have anything there. So the, they, they were very ill-prepared on offense. Robert Sala and the coaching staff, I mean, I don't know where to start there. Nathaniel Hackett is an absolute joke, and the only reason he's employed is because Aaron Rodgers likes him. I think we all kind of know that now. Uh, the fans have been, not all of them, but like there's a segment of the fan base that has just been insane. Like I'm seeing all these weird conspiracies now and people are still propagating it. Like that Zach Wilson apparently faked a concussion or something because he didn't want to play, which is insane. I mean, we all saw him getting his face bounced off the, the turf or whatever uh, it was in Miami. I don't know if it's turf, whatever, off the, off the surface multiple times. Um, and then, of course, there's those weird outside people who hate Aaron Rodgers so much that not Jets fans. I'm talking about people that just hate Aaron Rodgers so much that they go on conspiracy lane rants. I love how they like they get mad at Aaron Rodgers for supposedly spreading conspiracies. And then they go ahead and combat him by spreading conspiracies about him, about how he didn't actually tear his Achilles tendon. You know, he's just faking it so that he can stick it to the man or something. And then, of course, I mean, Rodgers, look, we're all hopeful as Jets fans that he comes back and he gives him a couple of years or whatever. But he's been de facto running a lot of what's happening, and it's been for the worse with him not there. With him there, you could cover those things up with him not there. 
it's not so easy. So I just have way too many axes to grind at this point, I guess. And it, this is going to be a very, very pivotal offseason because Rodgers hopefully gets back to, to full health and can come out and play in 2024. What does he look like? I don't know. But they've got to make major improvements. And the people that think you're going to be able to do most of that in free agency, well, talk to the Bills. The Bills fans will tell you that's not the case. And what you're going to need to do mostly is do it through the draft. And the problem is they've only got one pick in the top 70 because of the Rodgers trade. Thank God, by the way, they put conditions on that first-round pick because otherwise they'd be giving up what could be a uh, top-five pick to Green Bay for a quarterback who didn't play for them this year. So they're going to have to try and navigate how to get a whole bunch of impactful offensive players that can make a difference right away because Rodgers, unlike, say, Josh Allen, who's in his 20s and should have many more years with the Bills, the Jets know they've got one or two years with Rodgers and they have to do everything they can to make it work. So that means drafting as many guys immediately that can help solve these numerous holes that are on the offensive side of the ball. And everybody will just say, just spend money, just spend money. All right, great. But these guys have choices of where to go. They don't, you don't just say, I want Mike Evans to be a jet and he just shows up here. So you're going to have to figure out a way to navigate that. And I think what Mark Sessler from the NFL network said was a great way of putting it. And I had been saying it a a little less aggressively. Mm -hmm. He said what this showed you, and you and I had talked about this a bunch, Drew, is that the jets, With Aaron Rodgers, maybe they were a playoff team, but the idea that they were Aaron Rodgers away from going to a Super Bowl was always ridiculous, and a big part of it is because people overestimated what they had on the O-line and as far as offensive weapons go. So we'll see what they do in the offseason. But, yeah, a lot of grievances directed towards a lot of people. It's it's funny seeing it in retrospect, the way that that game exploded. And then you look at the – like the offensive line is a great point. You talk about the mess that you guys have of an offensive line. There's nowhere for you guys to go. You spent money on Lake and Tomlinson, right? Like that was Joe Douglas. Spent mm-hmm. money on Lake and Tomlinson. Six pressures, one sack, three hits, two hurries. He was a tire fire in this game. <laughs> then you go down the line, you go Mackay Becton. Three mm-hmm. pressures, two sacks. Like, you, it's just. All of the guys who were supposed to be the central, Joe Tipman at center, not special, didn't look great. I mean, he was okay, but it wasn't enough, especially when everything around him was crumbling. There was not a single starting offensive line, lineman four-year team, that didn't have either a sack or at least three pressures allowed. And so what you have to look at is that and say, hey, Maybe on some days, this is enough to win. But inside of our own division, it's clearly not enough. And so you got to look at the guy who built it and go, hey, what pivot do you have? Because we might get Elijah Vera Tucker back at full, full health, and maybe he slides right in and he's back to normal. It's an Achilles tear. Nobody knows. Those things are weird. Knee injuries are easier to come back from than those Achilles injuries because it's in the player's head that that thing can snap whenever. That's why there's a lot of Bills fans who are looking at the fact that Rasul Douglas has an extra year on his contract and saying, hey, that works for us because we don't know if and when Trey White's going to be ready to play again. He might physically be ready to go come week one. It doesn't mean that he's ready to take the field and go play the game. 
we don't know. So you have to look at the guys who are building this thing, the architects, and go, what did you do wrong and do we trust you to fix it? And to be honest, if I'm a Jets fan, that's where my axe to grind is. It's Robert Sala and it's Joe Douglas. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem like either one of them are going anywhere, going into next year. I mean, I saw that, I, in fact, I retweeted over at our Twitter handle, Rockpile, at Rockpile Report on Twitter, where it was the scene from Wolf of Wall Street where he goes, I'm not fucking leaving. <laughs> and it was Robert Sala. And then it's everyone in the crowd cheering as all the AFC teams going, yeah, bring him back. <laughs> bring him back. <laughs> it's been a rough year for you guys. Now, you come out of this game, you're looking at it, what do you have to look forward to down the stretch here? Like, what is it? Because usually there's the, you're looking at mm-hmm. who's earning a contract now. Like, so trust me, Bills fans listening to this po- this podcast have done so much of this over the years. Where you go, we had high aspirations. We fell well short of them. Our team got decimated by injuries. There's always something to keep looking for, whether it's the... A rookie and just, hey, he's going to get more playing time. Let's see what he does, and maybe he'll be something next year when we're hopefully a better team. Or it's the idea of, oh, man, Chris just did the thing where he pulled up like the, the Jets history. Scott, since your playoff appearances, 2010, 2011, you finished second place in the, uh, what is it, 2009-2010, you mm. guys qualified for the playoffs. Since then... You've only finished second in the AFCs twice, and you've been fourth a lot. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Yeah. And, and so the no. question is, what is this brain trust going to do to fix it? And what young players on the roster are you looking at just as far as like, hey, let's get through this. Let's see if this guy's worthy of a contract or worthy of more playing time. Who are your picks? The sad thing is, Drew, I think the one thing we were kind of looking forward to down the stretch was, okay, the Jets aren't going anywhere this year, but Zach Wilson played really well against Houston. Can he build on that? Can he play a couple of nice games and make you think perhaps he turned the corner and that maybe he's going to be waiting in the wings for Aaron Rodgers or maybe they can trade him for something in the offseason, whatever it is. And now you're not even going to get that because with the concussion, he's not going to play against Washington. I doubt he plays on a short week. After that, four days later against the Browns, and for his own sake, I hope he doesn't have to face Miles Garrett with that offensive line. And then what are you going to do? Bring him back for the season finale against the Patriots? For what purpose? So that was the one thing that I think people were kind of looking forward to a little in a season that's been incredibly disappointing, and now that's probably been taken away. The young players, look, Sauce Gardner's been outstanding. Somebody posted this, but he's allowed like 130 yards passing total since like week three. He's been so good, and it's been just incredible to watch him. But at the same time, you got to wonder if a guy like him or Garrett Wilson, who's been uh, terrific this year, uh, I guess you want to see if he makes it to 1,000 yards. Last, after last week, it looked like it was inevitable, but then he gets like 26 yards this week, and so you can't guarantee it. I think he's like at 870, so you would think he gets it, but with Trevor Simeon back there in that offensive line, who knows what's going to happen, right? Uh, I guess you want to see if Joe Tipman bounces back, but as far as like what they're going to do to fix this, look, realistically, the Jets are going to have to get two new starting tackles. The impression I've gotten all along is that both Becton and the Jets sort of want to move on, and Becton's kind of made that choice a little easier 
Uh, as Connor Rogers said on SNY after the game in the post game, uh, he basically said it's a no win for Becton in terms of why he's playing poorly. Either it's because he's just playing poorly or he's trying to play hurt, in which case it just highlights the fact that he's always hurt, right? So I, I think he's gone. Uh, Dwayne Brown will be gone. They'll need two new starting tackles. Well, we both know it's very difficult to get a quality starting tackle in free agency, and now they only have one pick in the top 70 of the draft to get the tackle. So you would hope that maybe they can leverage a trade down or something. And, and look, at guard and center and all that, yeah, ABT will be back, but he's missed 22 of his last 34 games. You've got to have a hell of an insurance policy for him. Lakin Tomlinson's been bad. I mean, it was a terrible signing. I, I don't think they move on from him just because of the dead cap number, but they could. And even if he's playing, you have to hold your breath. Tipman hasn't been amazing, but he seems like the only guy that you can probably rely on to be a, a quality starter of some sort next year without holding your breath that he's going to get badly hurt or that he's going to get killed every week. So they really have to rebuild that O-line almost from scratch. And like you said, it's amazing because here's a guy in Douglas who was an offensive lineman at Richmond who preaches the O-line. Remember, he came, comes from the Ravens and, and the Eagles primarily a little bit with the Bears. But the whole idea was win in the trenches, win in the trenches. Well, I mean, five years he's been here and the O-line is still a mess. And people will say, yeah, but he tried. He used all these resources on the O-line. Okay, fine, but look at what it got him. And yeah, to some degree, you can say it was bad luck, but to some other degree, it was just not making the right moves. I mean, look, Lakin Tomlinson's been bad. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, uh, you look at Dwayne Brown counting on a 38-year-old uh, guy who clearly wasn't the same coming was off a, a bad injury. It was a signing that when you guys made it, I shrugged my shoulders at and said, this is the, this well, is the mistake of a football team that doesn't understand that. Well, it's it's it's, it's it's like he's he it's 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 almost like when I come okay perfect example I'm playing slow pitch softball we're losing by a lot and I say to myself you know what it, it's okay because I can just get up here and hit a triple even though I haven't hit a triple in an entire season but I'm gonna hit a triple in this at bat and I'm fine I'm confident because I think I can do this the problem is is that your GM has become me playing slow pitch softball where there's an air of confidence despite all evidence to the to say that you're not you're not going to be able to pull this off in one fell swoop and yet he thinks he can. Well, on the Dwayne Brown thing to be fair, when they signed him last year, it was because Beckton had gotten hurt and at that point they were scrambling to try and find somebody that could be a replacement and as far as who was the best guy available, it was Brown. So I don't begrudge them on the signing. But he had a two-year deal and bringing him back as the penciled-in starter without trying to figure out a way to, to get an upgrade. I mean, the funny thing is they re clearly recognized they needed to do something because they made a hard pitch for Dwayne Brown and then uh, – uh, excuse me, Orlando Brown. And then when Orlando Brown went to Cincinnati, they just kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, ah, well, I guess you know we gave it a shot, and that was the end of it. And then now you hear, oh, well, the contingency plan was move Elijah Vera to Tucker to tackle, and then you move – uh, you put Joe Tipman at guard and then McGovern and all this stuff. And it's like, all right, fine. But 
Barry Tucker himself was coming off of an injury. You also knew that tackle was in his best position. So why is your contingency plan to take a guy who is coming off an injury and move him to a position that's not his primary spot? Now, it's one thing if you do that after you have a couple of injuries on the line and you really have nowhere else to go. But to make that your primary contingency because you didn't get Orlando Brown is bizarre. And then, you know, you look at the weapons. We, I've been saying for the entire offseason. You have the worst had, wide receiver core in the AFC. Or well, AFC, I, well not, maybe not AFC. Maybe that's too strong. AFC East, easily the worst wide receiver core. Well, I mean, listen, I wouldn't have said that before Corey Davis retired. I, don't, I wouldn't have said it's worse than the Patriots. But uh, even so, even with Corey Davis, I mean – You've got Garrett Wilson who's great, and then a couple of like, eh, you know, and then now, you know, Davis retires, which they, I don't know if they knew he was going to retire, but clearly in camp they knew something was up and they were in contact with him because he missed a ton of camp for quote-unquote personal reasons. So they had to know something. And then Lazard, I mean, look, he was clearly a product of Rodgers, and people can say, oh, well, if Rodgers was playing, whatever. But his career high with – one of the best quarterbacks of all time was 788 yards. People are acting like he was some sort of like really good bonafide number two, and he never was. I had been saying all along, look, when DeAndre Hopkins became available, I said it. I said it right then. I said, look, cut Corey Davis and sign DeAndre Hopkins. You can get Hopkins for like the same money as Davis, and it's a significant upgrade. You put Hopkins with Garrett Wilson, and all of a sudden you're cooking in the wide receiver core. Go draft a guy. In the first round, I would have taken one of those receivers, whether it was Smith and Jigba, who I like the best, Addison, uh, Zay Flowers. Now, Smith and Jigba is a third option, so he hasn't had as much of an impact. But Addison has had some really nice games in Minnesota. And obviously, we've seen what Zay Flowers has done in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. I still think Jackson, Smith, and Jigba – will eventually be a really good player. And who knows, in this situation... You and me both, as a, fan, as a fantasy player <clears throat> and in the Keeper League, you and me both. I, I think he will be, and I hope he will be. Here's, yeah, here's, here's what I want to end this conversation with, because I feel like we could go down this road of all the mistakes that were made. The reality is, is that you, more so than most people in the AFCs have an axe to grind when it comes to Festivus and getting all this shit off your chest. <laughs> I'm happy that we've given you the form to do it. Now, realistically, going forward, it's going to be a tough road to hoe. You guys have decisions to make. You know, Bryce Huff, he's up for a contract. What does it look mm -hmm. like? Does he play this out? You've already kind of sure. drafted his replacement, so maybe you don't need him. There's a lot still to come for the New York Jets that even though you know you're not making the playoffs, you still have to figure out a lot of shit. There's a lot of moving pieces. I'm interested to see how your front office navigates it, knowing that the central pillars will be back and how they figure the shit out. While they sift through that like 49ers panning for gold, <laughs> where, where can we all hate watch your content? <laughs> Excellent question, Shelton. Like an RKO out of nowhere, you can always find me. I'm always lurking somewhere. And by the way, real quick, I just thought this is hilarious. I threw out the idea because there's been some buzz. I don't think it's going to happen, but there's been some buzz that maybe if things don't end well for the Steelers, the Steelers move on from Tomlin. And I said, look, I don't think the Jets are going to do it, but if Tomlin becomes available, the first thing I'm doing is talking to Aaron Rodgers and being like, if we can bring this guy in here, how would you feel about it? And I have a feeling Rodgers would be fine with it because it's Mike Tomlin. I get all these Jet fans going at me. Oh, he's – I had one person called him a more, a, a more experienced Robert Sala. I'm like, dude, 
Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season. Robert Sala's never had a winning season. How are these two even remotely alike? And I just think it's hilarious that you're talking about a coach with a Hall of Fame resume. And look, you could poke holes in any coach, but the guy clearly is is well-revered, well-respected, would give the Jets organization an instant credibility boost if he was here as the head coach. And for Jets fans, who and then I, I saw people going, no, you'd rather go after like Ben Johnson or whatever. It's like, you want another unproven coordinator over a guy that's got a 16-year track record and has a Super Bowl ring and, and a, a career-winning percentage of 619, all these things. That, to me, is nuts. But I'm sure this is something that we'll talk about on the show, which you can find anywhere where you download podcasts. You can also check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash playlikeajet. And I'm on Twitter at playlikeajet1. I obviously don't have much to root for other than draft position the rest of the way, but I will say I'm going to be watching the Bills and the Dolphins down to the wire, and it's going to be interesting because I was just playing this through. All that has to happen is the Bills got to take care of business against two bad teams, and the Dolphins have to lose to one of the two really good teams. They're playing Dallas and Baltimore. That's very good possibility. They lose one of those, and guess what? It sets up one hell of a, a showdown in week 18 between the, the Bills and the, uh, and the Dolphins, and I would love to see it. And I'll tell you what, this is no secret to anyone who listens to the show. I'm no Bills fan, but if you're giving me a choice between the Bills and the Dolphins winning that division, let's go Buffalo. Scott Mason, Christian Simonelli, Alvar Tiaga in about 15 minutes. They are the fabulous Freebirds. Fabulous Freebirds of the AFC East. I will say this. I I feel like to... Here's what I want to say, and I'm Googling this right now because I feel like you've gone through so many, like, tag team groups. I've 100% reused them. I know. Because there's only so many factions. So, what what I want to know is just this idea that think back to the 90s like right before the attitude era just the 90s and some of the groups that like weren't groups but they existed and they had a, a couple guys in it like at one point who was Tatanka do you remember him the corp million dollar corporation yeah how did he get to be on the side of that <laughs> like how did think about that logically he said that rich white guys it was Lex Luger was involved with that angle yeah. So so how? Like, how did this all and it come to be? Culminate, culminated at, I think, SummerSlam 94. <laughs> and then Tatanka turned heel. I do remember his heel turn. And then he was a bad guy, right? Yeah, he was a bad Indian. To, to Lexa, which is a crazy thing to do because the whole angle is, hey, Native American wrestler, we're here to Native pride. We're going to try to, like, play off that. And we're going to pump this angle up. And then, well, that got stale. We're going to make you a bad guy. <laughs> and we're going to make you a heel for Lex Luger, who's supposed to be like the American guy. Right? All American. The all American guy. Remember when he, uh, with Yokozuna? Yeah, he body slammed him on July 4th. Threw him in the rack? I didn't throw him in the rack. You can't put Yokozuna <laughs> in the rack. He just body slammed him. How funny would it have been to see a Yokozuna Andre the Giant match? That would have been awful. <laughs> neither neither guy with any technique. Yeah, no. Neither ath- guy with any athleticism. <laughs> like at least the big show, Andre the Giant. 
the big show for being as big as he was was really athletic. Yeah. I mean, he's he, if you were to look at all the guys who were ever in that range of, let's say, 380 pounds or more, the big show probably is the best, wasn't he? Yeah. Who else Who else would you put in that category with him? For big men? Uh, it was Andre the Giant, Big Show, Undertaker, Kane, or any of his other personas, Fake Diesel, or <laughs> Fake Diesel. Isaac Yankum, <laughs> DDS. <laughs> Isaac Yankum. I forgot about that. Chris, that's one of my grievances for 2023. We are here talking about the Buffalo Bills, and we got to talk about our grievances for 2023. <clears throat> for me personally, one of them is that I feel like you're now mailing it in when it comes to the wrestlers. I feel like there's more tandems out there that you have forgotten about. Probably, but I'm not <clears throat> doing the research. I'm not making a list of all the names I've used and then crossing them off. No, no. But what I think you need to do is you got to dig deep. You got to find new references. You got to figure out, like, like when it comes to tag teams. I think of the Killer Bees back in the '80s. I, I go back to the '70s and '80s. And I think of the wrestlers like One Man Band, One Man Gang, One Man Gang. Uh, what, who, who were some of the other ones? The best? Twin Towers. The Twin Towers. That was when One Man Gang became African. Who was the... Uh, As if that angle wasn't <laughs> racist. Well, exactly. Open racism that wasn't called racism by the WWF. Shocker. They were full-fledged in that in the late 80s with that and then Ted DiBiase paying children in the audience to bounce a ball 10 times and then for 100 bucks and then kick it away at the last second. Ted DiBiase was one of the, I want to say, like, his whole shtick was one of the worst, right? Like, no, there's one of the greatest gimmicks of all time. He was Vince McMahon before Vince McMahon got in front of the camera. That's the whole whole gimmick was based off of Vince McMahon. I guess. I mean, what about Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood? Sure. Yeah. What, what about the Von Erichs? They're all dead. <laughs> the, like the wild Samoans? No. The dream team? No. The Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. That's what we are. In the world of Bill's podcasting, you and I are the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. Because all I do is drink 10 beers and yell, fuck that sons of bitches. <laughs> And that's it. That's all I do. I just make points about my frustration and outrage with no real basis. I loved that guy, the Iron Sheik. In fact, he only got better over time. Whereas, like, we all made fun of Hulk Hogan. And he kind of fell apart over time. And then, like, he turns out he's like a swinger. And all this weird stuff about him personally came out. The Iron Sheik never stopped being the Iron Sheik. I think we should all respect him just a little bit for that, shouldn't we? Yeah. Now, Chris... We're here because Festivus is back. Let me hear it. Happy Festivus! That's right. Guys, we're here airing our grievances, talking about the 2023 Buffalo Bills. And I have a lot of bones to pick. Chris, if I had to ask you what your biggest axe to grind with this football team this year might be, what is it? Clever that you use axed to grind, considering what has happened over the last couple weeks. 
Yeah, cool. We're winning games. Still not a no longer a fan of McDermott or believe that he can get it done. Time to move on. I'm done with your conservatism football and punting around midfield when you have a chance to put a game away and then you feel like you need to rely on your defense to beat Tampa Bay on a almost Hail Mary if Godwin got his head around. Just shit like that. That is like my biggest grievance. There's the- Recognize that McDermott is a guy that can change your culture but can't get you over the top. Move on, please. What I love is this idea that you we're talking about axing. Look at the job Joe Brady's done with the offense. On one hand, like I saw a tweet from some girl who works for Buffalo Fanatics. She was like, oh, all the Sean McDermott haters are pretty quiet today. No, I'm not. Nope. Because what I just watched was a team go out there and handle a 10-win team like they were nothing. Like, they gave them the Denzel Washington and the equalizer treatment. They just walked in like they were a bottle cap or a piece of lint or just just nothing. Where has that been? And the problem is, is that if you didn't think that the guy that you had in the role was capable of giving you that performance, why wasn't this move made sooner? No, instead, you let us do the thing that we always do. We're a team that could dominate in a lot of games, and yet all we do is package together a great season with some trademark boneheaded losses. Like, trademark. It's become a staple of what the Buffalo Bills are. The term Billsy now exists again because of Sean McDermott. Everyone thought he phased it out of existence. He didn't. In fact, it's alive and well, and he's proven it over and over and over again this year. We're back in that world where you can find the worst ways to win a football game. And it's it's literally your fault. You as a franchise manifested this thing. So no, I'm not... I didn't go anywhere. I'm still very upfront about the fact that I'm not a fan of Sean McDermott. You go win me something, something meaningful. I don't want to hear about this anymore. Of, even if we make the playoffs, won't mean a thing to me. Because you were supposed to do that. You don't get golf claps. That's the other thing. I have an axe to grind with all of you as fans who go, well, man, if he can just make the playoffs, like Sean McDermott will really have shown everybody. Will he? Will he have shown everybody? You were supposed to make the playoffs with Stephon Diggs and with a fuck Von Miller. I don't even need him to be productive with a Floyd playing the way he was playing at the start of the season with a Greg Rousseau and the defensive line that you cultivated. I don't care about your linebackers, the secondary that you had to start the year. And then the fact that you traded for Rasul Douglas and it's gone well, you were supposed to make the playoffs. You don't get a pat on the back for doing the thing you're supposed to do when you have a multi-million dollar franchise quarterback. Why do you think everyone's fired out in Los Angeles right now for the Chargers? Because they have a multi-million dollar quarterback and they have a highly paid group of wide, well, a wide receiver akin to Stephon Diggs, Keenan Allen, regularly productive, highly paid. They have a really talented running back. 
They've got star pass rushers. They have all the things that you're supposed to have. And yet, they're not going to make the playoffs. They're fired because they're not going to make the playoffs or win any games in the postseason after just not winning any games in the postseason. We're a year removed from eking out a win and then getting embarrassed on our home field. I'm sorry. You don't get golf claps for doing the job you're supposed to do. Now, maybe that reflects back on how I view jobs, Chris. Chris, when you go to work every day, do they ex- like? does anybody cheer for you at the time clock when you punch out because you did an adequate job for the day? No. It never <laughs> happens. I wouldn't yeah. expect that to happen anywhere. Although that would be cool if there are people in higher-up positions right now listening to this that you start doing that with uh, your employees when they leave for the day at 4.35 o'clock. Give them golf claps. That would be fun. You do Nice job. You were highly adequate filling out those TPS reports. Nice job, guys. I'm really proud of all of you. You did the exact thing that you're already collecting a check to do. No, you don't get that from me. I'm tired of this portion. My 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 biggest one, Chris, hit me with another sounder. It's a festivus miracle. It is a miracle that I've made it this far without blasting any of you people. When I hear you talking in person, when I see you on social media, I maintain my composure. I keep it to myself, right? You people are killing me. You're killing me. Because what I see is a group of individuals who are willing to celebrate mediocrity. You have a coach who has done less with more, who made poor choices. Okay, everyone goes, oh, he made the decision to switch to Joe Brady, so hey, where was it all along? Yeah, you're being rewarded for it because turns out Joe Brady's doing a really good job with his offense right now. It's a small sample size. Not going to say that he deserves the job for forever, but you don't get credit for picking another guy in your staff after you fired a guy. Because realistically, you didn't have another pivot. Joe Brady was always going to be the guy if you fired that guy. And it took you way too long to figure out that he wasn't the guy. That's a move you make earlier in the season when we were having all of our problems and on this this ridiculous... Like, Chris, go go up to Pro Football Reference. Pull, Pull up the 2023 Buffalo Bills. Yeah, give me a minute. Yep. So while he's looking at this, as he clicks his way through... Back to there you go. Yeah, get there. So let's scroll down here for me. Yeah. So when you look at this and you see that you're scoring 14 points against the New York Giants, the New York Giants, and that you're scoring 20 points but 14 of that's coming in the fourth quarter against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and then the following week you lose by a single score to New England but you had to score 14 fourth-quarter points. Maybe that was the point where you go, hey, I need to fire my offensive coordinator because he's not cutting it with the tools that he has at his disposal. Instead, what you did was you poisoned the well and allowed him to go out there and ruin the Bengals game and the Broncos game. And then it became a thing. You were like, oh, wow, hey, this thing, guess who's getting fired? Oh, I know, the offensive coordinator. Too many men on... It's just you waited too long. And the the fallout of you waiting too long is now these teams that hold wins over you are going to be ahead of you in the wild card hunt at every turn. 
that's that's my axe to grind. If I have a if I have a glaring one, and I feel better just getting it off my chest and articulating it, so that you people understand where I'm coming from. You all of these things that you want to give McDermott credit for are his fault. First of all, you created a problem by promoting that guy. When you saw last year, he wasn't cutting it. Okay, that's your fault. Then you didn't make the switch early enough in the season when there were still AFC games to be had. So now we've lost more AFC contests that now put us behind in tiebreakers to the teams that are directly standing between us and the playoff berth. And then you all want to give Sean McDermott a giant fucking round of applause. Well, we're in the hunt, guys. We're in the hunt. And we might make it if we win out. It's not good enough for me. I'm not I'm not signing up for that. Like I'm not going to I'm I'm not going to applaud that. I'll accept it. I'm not going to applaud the guy like he did something great. No, no, no. This is the thing you were supposed to be doing with a roster that's built like this, it's being paid like this. You're supposed to be beating the Dallas Cowboys 31 to 10. You're supposed to be beating the Kansas City Chiefs on the road. Okay? You're supposed to be taking the Philadelphia Eagles to overtime in their own building. These are all things that you are supposed to be doing. You don't get credit for me for doing them. And I'm tired of everybody who thinks that they should. And if I have another one I can throw here, I'm really sick and tired of uh, Mark Smith. Yeah, Mark Smith. Festivus is back! (laughs) Mark Smith, I love you. But also, you and those memes... Guys, for those of you who don't know, my friend Mark got drunk and uh, paid for a subscription to a meme app. Now he gets bombed after these games and just floods us with memes. And they're all disparaging to me. And what he doesn't know is that I'm now going to respond in kind. You want to... <laughs> it's, it's, it's Scarface. You want to go to war? You want to go to war with me? <laughs> I'm tired of your nonsense, Mark. You're not as funny as... Does, some of them are good. Some of them are good, okay? You want to go to war with me? I will meme you to death. I'll see you in hell. I love you. And also, I will see you at the tailgate for the Patriots game. Chris, anything else you want to get off your chest about this fan base, about the team? Is there a player that's been bothering you? Is there something here? What about your... uh... It's always a grievance for me, podcast-related... Your excess time with our guests. <laughs> I hate the stop recording and then talk to them for 20 more minutes. That's an axe to grind. So you're cutting into recording time. What would you suggest time- I do? Just say, hey, thanks for joining us and hang up the phone. <laughs> Simple as that. How do you end phone calls with your mom? Uh, if my mom starts going on a run, my mom has now does this to me. <laughs> It's the same process. You just, as somebody's, if you give a subtle like, oh, hey, I got to I gotta go, and they keep talking, you just keep hitting them with a, with a all right, kid, thanks, bye. All right, kid, thanks, bye. Kid, thanks, bye. And you just keep doing it faster. Kid, thanks, bye. Kid, thanks, bye. And then you hang up. And now my mom will do it, do it to me. It's caught on where she does it to me. Because if I'm, like, driving somewhere and I'm on the phone with her and maybe I went, like, grocery shopping or 
you know, just shopping in general. And Wait, I got you call your mom to talk about groceries. <laughs> no, if I'm on, I'm saying if I'm on the <clears> phone <throat> with my mom and I'm on my way home and I was just like out at the store, stopped at a couple of places and I'm pulling in, I got to get off the phone and get all the shit out of my car, take it into the house. They're like, all right, can thanks. Bye. She's still running her mouth. Like, all right, can thanks. Bye. Can thanks. Bye. I got to go. Can thanks. Bye. Can thanks. Bye. And then you hang up. <laughs> I need you to know that we do not care. <laughs> I will continue to talk to our guests, and I will continue to make small talk that drives you. It almost makes me happy. It makes me happy knowing that it bothers you. Bothers me a lot. <laughs> My friendship with these people bothers you. Yeah. Oh, guys. Tell me that you don't all have your own grievance there. Why don't you tweet at us at Rockpile Report on Twitter or email this RockpileReport seven one six at gmail.com. What is your biggest grievance with the Buffalo Bills of twenty twenty three? Next week we're gonna get together, we're gonna talk about year end stuff, we're gonna talk about New Year's resolutions, Iman Azizi of Q forty two barbecue. Per, my business partner, Purveyor, Q42, BBQ, he's going to be joining us in studio so we can talk about this stuff. We're going to read through together some of the funnier submissions you guys give us for your grievances. Some of you guys are going to get a little something something from Q42. Take a look at this. The bigger bottle. Yeah. that's compl- that, that, that was the brainchild of uh, long snapper Reed Ferguson. He goes, you know what? We need to sell this in a larger bottle so that people don't feel like they have to baby it. And he's 100% correct. And this is the best batch of rub we've ever produced. Also, right there on the side, ranked number 14th in the world, number one in New York State. You're welcome. Do yourselves a favor. Go check that out at uh, Q42BBQ.com. Don't go to Q42.com for reasons that I can't get into here for, uh, well, just don't do it. Guys, Festivus is back. Make sure that between now and Christmas, you get all of these grievances off your chest. Okay? That way we can all step forward into the new year with a clean slate. I look forward to doing that with this football team. If and when they do eventually make the playoffs. I want to hope that when we hit that, I can see that, take a deep breath and take it in and go into it without any of the animosity that I feel towards these players and this staff and everything else about this team right now. Chris, I think I think that's the spirit of the holiday, isn't it? Yeah, you'd hope so. Absolutely. And that brings us to our final segment of the evening as we talk to the still the still reigning AFC's front runner, Miami Dolphins. And Mr. Alfartiago, who joins us every week to just extol their exploits. And I got to tell you, it was the most anticlimactic thing to put on a TV in a parking lot before our game. Here, everyone was all gassed up. You know, the injury list comes out. I go, Tyreek Hill's not playing. Okay. Xavier Howard's not playing. Okay. It's like that. It's like that gif with Vince McMahon where he's just like, oh. Oh, and he's in the in the lazy boy in the ring, and then he Javon just, Javon Holland was not Javon playing. Not playing. Just, wasn't playing. And I just flipped the chair over. I'm like, oh my god, this is the we hottest thing I've ever seen. Starter in the secondary playing, Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> this is the, this is the hottest thing I've ever seen. Please tell me the Jets can pull this off. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
Elf, the theme of tonight's show is Festivus. You know, it's a Festivus for the rest of us. And we're here extolling our personal grievances with each of our respective franchises. What would you say your biggest grievance with the 2023 Miami Dolphins is? Uh, can I include the fans or? It can be anything fans, you want. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one uh, one outside of the team and one inside the team. Uh, the one outside the team is the 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 bipolar nature of the fans. Uh, they lose their minds, and then when they win a game, they're winning the Super Bowl again. Uh, now they're just cautious after because everybody knows that they acted like clowns last week. So naturally, this week they're gonna be a little cautious because they don't want to really look like clowns by starting to starting the Super Bowl talk once again, right? And on the team is I've been making fun of them all year. They have this McNeese State thing going where they look at the opponent and they say, you know what, we can rest this guy and rest that guy. <laughs> and sometimes it comes back to bite them. And it actually did this year. It came back to bite them a couple of times, uh, most notably against the, the Eagles. They decided, you know what, we're not starting either cornerback. <laughs> Against against the Eagles, although both like look, everybody's around the team, and these guys tend to talk a lot. Xavier Howard's telling everybody, "Oh, I'm playing." Like I saw AJ Brown uh, on because I think they're friends, like they're long, long, long time friends, and he was telling everybody that week, "Oh, I'm playing." I saw AJ Brown on the schedule before the season, and I knew I got to play that game. And then Jalen Ramsey was telling everybody, "Yeah, I'm I'm ready to go this week." Then all of a sudden, not nobody's playing. <laughs> it's going to be Kater Kohu and Eli Apple going up against A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. Um, this one against the Jets, they had everybody working out before the game. They had, Xavier Howard got hurt on the first uh, third down of the game against Tennessee. He played the rest of the game. So he could have played against the Jets. They just looked at the, the opponent and they said, not necessary. Let's rest all these guys. Let's play a little bit more cautious, not put the ball at risk, and just win the game. And they won it in pretty resounding fashion. It was pretty damn good performance. Now, what was the stat you were just telling us about before we hit record? Here, the uh, the, the, they punted isolated. They were punting, but they were like, "This stat's going to stand." What was that? The, The Dolphins had more sacks on the Jets than the Jets had yards. At halftime, <laughs> Dolphins had five sacks. The Jets had four yards. AFC Player of the Week to just straight back to being a dumpster fire. Like if there's anything, like if that's not a microcosm of the week to week nature of the NFL, I don't know what is. Hot- yeah, and it was, and they, they they put him back there to drop back to pass, and he was just getting absolutely bombed. <laughs> you know, and now he's in concussion protocol. Yeah. Or or more likely, you know, check in the tea times and Well, more likely he's like, Hey guys, remember when I said I was hesitant to take the starters job again? This is why. This is the shit I was talking about. I don't want to do this. I am you know and they go, Oh, we think you might be concussed. Yeah, you know what, Doc? I am a little foggy. I should probably sit this one out. And the great thing of being like two years out from like drafts is that you can start to do your evaluations. Um, Zach Wilson, we don't know because he just never had a very good framework. My suspicion is that he's not good. But we know for a fact Mekhi Becton is not good, and that's a bust pick. Uh, 
he came into the game talking about being healthy. Uh, he's essentially he was just a pylon in in that game. The Bradley Chubb just come running right around him, and he could he could have had fifteen sacks in that game if he wanted them. But you know we started benching everybody in the second half. So yeah, Mackay Beckton not good. That entire offensive line, I guess they could bring back Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, Joe Tipman. Chris, do me a favor. Look up the sure. outlads for the Jets here. Pull up Jets outlads. I want to see who all they have on that line. Because to just to allow an abomination of a game like this is... I've watched wild. them so much that I could give you a complete evaluation of that offensive <laughs> line. Okay? Like, I'll tell you, look, Joe Tipman, I don't know. It's, you know, it's it's one year. We don't know. Okay? Lakin Tomlinson has been an absolute bust for what they paid him. Mekhi Becton is awful. Max Mitchell's a decent swing tackle. Uh, I think he can play. Uh, if you, if he's your backup right tackle, you're not in, you know, you're not in bad shape. Billy Turner's the same thing. Billy Turner's another backup right tackle. Uh, if he's your backup right tackle, you're fine. Um, who am I missing? Well, apparently they have some. Oh, Eliza Vera Tucker. He's coming off of an Achilles. So we they, shall see. They so they're going to have, they maybe played half Carter a Warren, line. who's a rookie, who's also now injured. Yeah, he's not good. No. So they got about half a line. They got half a line. They have half so. a line. They have one wide receiver. I mean, look, look at this. Their wide receiver depth chart against you guys was Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard, Garrett Wilson, Charles Irvin, and Xavier Gibson. You keep Xavier Gibson because he's he's dangerous as a punt returner. He's also and free. Kick return. He's also free. He was a college free agent. <laughs> like at yeah. that point, it didn't cost you a damn thing. And I, and their UDFA's are not good. Jason Brownlee's not good. No, period. no, that's my point. Like you have two receivers who were going to be starting for you. And I like the and simplicity. College free agents. I like the simplicity of the Dolphin game plan. Uh, you know, Vic Fangio. That was just brilliant. You know, Vic Fangio said, "Okay, you're going to saddle me with like one starter <laughs> in the whole secondary. Well, I'm going to have him travel with Garrett Wilson the entire game." And Gary Wilson got his first target, I believe, in the third quarter. So, God, yeah. Jalen Ramsey was, uh, has been absolutely fabulous. He was fabulous in this game. Now, does it concern you at all, knowing that, you know, Stephon Gilmore is also having, having a pretty good season. The Cowboys are pretty good. And you watch a, the, the team that you're trying to keep in front of for possession of the division play a dominating brand of football like that. Does it give you any concern? Well, Josh Allen threw, what was it, 15 passes? 94 total yards. And you dominated on the ground? Well, the way I look at it, if you ran for what, 260 did you run for? What, mm-hmm. what was it? I believe. Then we should run for 360. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. You guys employed the game plan that we would likely employ against them. Uh, when they, I, I was watching the game, and as soon as I started, I, I started watching the game. I'm like, "What are they doing?" Dan Quinn is infamous for this. Uh, he did this against the Patriots um, in that infamous Super Bowl as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he tends to go lighter and lighter out of fear for passing games, and he doesn't care. Uh, Vic Fangio will do this, but Vic Fangio will combat this by playing some eagle fronts. And then every once in a while, you look on the defensive line, you're like, wait a minute. They have Raekwon Davis, Christian Wilkins, and Zach Sealer up there. Okay. They're combating a lighter box by playing three 300-pounders. Like, that's a, that's a difference mm-hmm. that we do. They don't. They get lighter and lighter and lighter. 
And that's why some teams that just stick to power running are going to run all over the Cowboys. And it's it's part of their ethos. It's not it's not really a personnel thing, although they're they're a lighter team on defense because they they rely on speed. Uh, but every team that can stick to their uh, to power runs against the Dallas Cowboys is going to have they're going to have success. You know, if you can hold down their offense just a little bit and you get a lead on them, you could just lean on them the rest of the way. And I saw it very early on on from the from the the Bills. They, they had a perfect game plan. The, the game was called perfectly. And I think the unsung hero really was the defense. I thought the Bills defense was really really good. That allowed you to stick with your offensive game plan. Yep. So now, just watching it a week before you play them, obviously you're feeling a little more confident. It'll be interesting to see what kind of offense the Dolphins can muster against them when you guys go up, because realistically, Bills fans are hate-watching your next two games. Baltimore, Dallas. You guys drop one, Week 18 just became way more interesting. Then we have a real conversation between you and I. For right now, we're still nipping at the heels. We're doing the Michael Myers thing where we're just stalking and just waiting for you to trip over that next box that's left out in the middle of the hallway where you're trying to run away. When you, you know, when you twist your ankle running up the stairs, we're just waiting. Just- well, the unknown is, in my opinion, the unknown is the Ravens game. Uh, I said all year uh, the Cowboys are tailor-made to get absolutely annihilated by the Miami Dolphins. It's just a schematic issue that they have. Uh, they don't respond well to motion. They have problems with speed-wide receivers. Uh, I do feel as if Miami is going to run rough shot on the Dallas Cowboys. The Ravens game is a complete unknown, but Keaton Mitchell now is out for the year. I don't know if you guys have Did watched see, the play. I was, I was watching that game, yeah. I, I, I always watch the Ravens with like a, you know, like a meh attitude all year. You know, I, I kept looking at them like, okay, how are they good? Like, why are they the danger in the in the AFC? Like, I look at my team and I think my team's better than that team. Then Keaton Mitchell showed up, and I started looking at, okay, now that's a new dimension that wasn't there before, and that makes them dangerous. Well, he's not there no more, so we shall see how they adjust to that. Mm-hmm. Their their schedule is absolutely brutal uh, going forward. By the way. Mm-hmm. So they play the the 49ers next week, and then they play us. So that's the unknown. And then uh, week 18, you know, remember my, my prediction before the season that that game would be for the division title. You did the plan say- now is, of course, is to win just the next two games and make that that game be for the number one overall seat. Yeah, no, you you did say that, and I love the fact that it's, it seems like it's coming to fruition. I can't wait to see it play out. Now, as we let you go. I want to get back to Festivus, <laughs> your fan base, and the hyperbolic nature of things. If there was one thing that you could say, listen, feats of strength, one of you are going to have to, so something that you're willing to fight over <laughs> about the Dolphins here this season, what would it be? Oh, my God. Well, every, everything that they say on Twitter, all the all the fans, every, it all blows up in their face. Like, everybody who they hate watch. Like, this is the only – well, it's not the only <laughs> fan base because I, I, I read a lot of football crap uh, on Twitter. But this fan base decides to find one guy and they're, okay, we hate this guy and we're going to start hating on this guy. It was Jerome Baker for a while. Then, of course, the guy is having an all-pro year and then you can't hate him anymore, right? 
Mm-hmm. So they decided, they decided, you know what? Let's hate Austin Jackson. <laughs> then he has a Pro Bowl year. The one that they picked up on, and don't let me think that I didn't know that you were beginning this narrative, Dolphin fans, was Jalen Waddle is not focused. <laughs> Maybe he's not that good anymore. <laughs> They've just found a new person to be like, fuck that guy for no, for nothing quantifiable, but we need to have someone we're mad at. And sure enough, eight for 147 and a touchdown. So, so there you go. You know, and he's headed for another thousand. He needs 32 yards and there's three games left for a thousand yards. Okay. For your wide receiver too, that's mm-hmm. not bad. No. And, and never mind. Everybody losing their minds all off season and the entire first month of the season, they got to trade for Jonathan Taylor. They're just not serious. That was my favorite. My favorite line is they're not serious about winning a Super Bowl because they haven't traded for Jonathan Taylor yet. Now, all the people who were saying that, are they the same people who were also the ones screaming for Delvin Cook? Yes. <laughs> they were the same ones. The same ones. We're saying you're not serious about winning a Super Bowl because you haven't traded for Jonathan Taylor yet. You're not serious about winning a Super Bowl because you haven't signed Dalvin Cook. Watching Meanwhile, Ty Chandler score 28 points for me in fantasy, I think actually 30 by the time the game is over. Ty Chandler, 30 points in fantasy. Alexander Madison would have had 30 points in fantasy. That team chose to tell Dalvin Cook to fuck off. <laughs> yes, they did. Now, why would you want that? Why would you want that inside your building? And meanwhile, Raheem Mostert breaks the franchise record for touchdowns in a season with three games to spare. He has 20 touchdowns. 20 touchdowns from scrimmage. I think that's pretty good. A franchise with over five that... yards per carry and headed for like 1,200 yards rushing. That's well, pretty good. And that's pretty good for a franchise that's had some household names. You know, the Ricky Williams, the Ronnie Browns. Who else? Well, what are their great running backs, Chris? Do you remember being in a Dolphins uniform? Uh, was it Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? <laughs> he, he was good for like two years, then fell off the, the face of the earth. There you go. Nailed it. Uh, I just... I love that we can come together this time of year, break out the aluminum pole, and get all of this ugly shit off our chests so that we go into the new year with a fresh slate. I think it's good. I think it's healthy. I mean, I hope nothing. I hope all the vitriol in your fan base continues. I'm not going to lie to you. But for you personally, I'm glad you can get that off your chest. Elf. Uh, it's, it happened, it's happened all year. Did you forget? That Miami was up 41 14, 40, no, 42 14 on Carolina. And Mike White came in in garbage time and threw a pick six to make it 42 21. And everybody said, Oh, time to start scouring the waiver wire. We need a backup quarterback. <laughs> God. Uh, so, yes. Elf. As we hate watch you guys down the stretch, where can we find all your content? Where can we follow you on social media? Uh, if you want to follow all our content, you could go on Twitter at the number three yards per carry. It's the account three yards per carry. If you want to listen to us, you can find us anywhere you get your podcast. Also, the number three yards per carry. Guys, this has been a lot of fun, but for tonight, we get to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Scott Mason, Christian Simonelli, and Elf Artiaga. And on behalf of everybody here, 
at the Rock Pile Report in the AFC's Roundup, the, it, <laughs> the three yards per carry, play like a jet. We wish you all a very happy Festivus. Thank you. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.